was our second date, and so I wanted to make a, a good second impression, I guess, since the first impression had already happened on the first date. We went to a movie, and as Brooke and I sat down eating the popcorn, she looked over and said, it could have more butter. And that's when I first knew, there's a chance with this one. There's a chance with this one. But I didn't want to take the popcorn back out and take it back up to the concession stand. So I just said, give me a minute. And I went up to the concession stand and I said, hey, I'm going to need more butter. Is there any way I can get more butter? And they're like, we, we can't just give you butter. I'm like, you have cups right there. They're like, it's, it's theater policy. I'm like, come here. I understand it's theater policy. And if there's nothing you can do to help me, that's fine. But is there anybody that I can talk to who could help me out? I really like this girl, and I brought her to a discount theater, so I'm going to need all the help I can get. So if you could just take one of those little cups and put a little bit of that butter in the cup, it would really help me out, as this is our second date. Guy looked at me, looked over his shoulder, said, don't tell anybody. I said, this is our secret. This is our secret. Handed me a cup of butter. I handed him a couple bucks. Walked back into the theater. And whether she'll admit it or not, that's the moment that Brooke fell in love with me. When I came back with a cup full of nothing but theater butter that she could dip her popcorn in as much as she so desired. I just refused. I just refused to be stopped. I refused to be deterred. And sometimes in our lives, we face those moments, that initial rejection, that initial that initial theme that there's nothing that can be done, that, you're, that you can't do it. It just can't be done. And there are moments of determination in all of our lives, on some level or another, where we just refuse to accept that initial defeat. And we power through. These are, some of, these are some of the best plots in films that we love. When people are down and they're counted out and they're told there's no possible way only for them to persevere and to keep going and to keep fighting. And this morning, as we continue our look at 1 Thessalonians and hope in the hard times, what we're going to see is that there are moments where we have to persevere. There are moments we have to keep fighting. There are moments where we're going to be knocked down and counted out. And if we have the theology in our minds that because we're followers of Jesus, everything should be easy in our lives and everything should be great, we're going to reach a point where our faith doesn't make sense. Because the more we dive in to Scripture... The more we investigate the life of Jesus, the more that we see that those were promises that God he simply never gave us. In fact, Jesus promised us the opposite. He said, you're going to have trouble in this world. This world's going to hate you. It hated me. And as Paul and Silas and Timothy are continuing their journeys... As we saw last week, they went to a city called Thessalonica, and there they poured into the people. A love for them was built. And now Paul has, has written them this letter. And so we pick it up in chapter 2 this morning, and if you have your phones or your tablets, you can follow along with us on the Bible app as we continue our look at 1 Thessalonians, reading these words in chapter 2, 
For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Suffering, shame, and conflict were the reward for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Suffering, shame, and conflict were what were brought into the life of these three individuals who were doing God's work. God had called them to a purpose. They were faithful to that purpose. And how were they rewarded? How were they repaid? By shame, suffering, and conflict. Everywhere they turned. And yet, what do we see? We see that they didn't allow those things to deter them. They didn't allow those things to cause them to lose heart. In accomplishing the mission that God had for them, they experienced things that none of us would desire to experience if we had the choice in our lives. But they were faithful to that which God had called them. And what happened? There was suffering as a result of it. Other people acted shamefully towards them. And there was conflict everywhere they turned to the point that because so many people followed Jesus, because of their faithfulness, they were run out of cities. They were rejected by culture. They were opposed. And herein lies the question that all of us must answer and all of us must ask ourselves. Is when the hard times come, when the culture rejects us, as Jesus promised us it would, and as we live in a culture that is increasingly becoming post-Christian more and more each and every passing day, how do we respond? How do we respond? When suffering becomes the normal thing that all those who follow Jesus experience, when shame comes on those of us who follow Jesus because of what we believe and how we want to live our lives, and when our beliefs in our lives bring about conflict, how do we respond? Do we say we will be faithful to what God has called us to do? Will we live in the way that God has called us to live, even when it's not easy and especially all the more? when it's difficult or will we shrink from the moment and will we hide and will we draw back when the going gets tough that is the question that each and every one of us must be prepared to answer because God did not promise us an easy stress-free life God did not promise us nothing but happiness in this world you will have trouble this world will hate you. But take heart, Jesus said. It first hated me. And when Paul and Silas and Timothy experienced that in a very real level, they refused to allow it to deter them. And they instead continued to do that which God called them to do. And he continues. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Who tests our hearts. 
He says, this isn't about what everybody else thinks about me. This isn't about what everybody else is going to say about us. In fact, that's the reason that he qualifies why they did what they did. He qualifies that this isn't from impurity. This isn't from impure motives. We didn't try to deceive you because those were the allegations that were coming around the people of the church in Thessalonica, is that they'd been deceived, is that all of these people came in with impure motives, that they just wanted to have influence or they tried to enrich themselves. Those were all the things that people were saying about them falsely, but those were all the things that were being said about them. And where, where can you find peace when everybody's lobbying allegations against you? Where can you find hope when you know your motives are pure, but other people resist you and question you? And because they don't like you, they choose to say, well, you're guilty of this and that, and you are falsely accused of things. Where can you find your hope? In the same place they did. They said, we have nothing to hide, and God's our judge. We have nothing to hide, and God is our judge. In a world where you will be misunderstood, in a time where people will not understand you, they will question your motives, they will question your intent, you don't have to prove it to them. You don't have to prove it to them. Take solace in the fact that there will always be somebody who misunderstands you. There will always be somebody who tries to impugn your character. There will always be opposition that you will face. And in those times, remind yourself all the more that it is God who knows your heart. And it is God who will test your heart. And it is God who will see. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And here he says, it was never about us. It was never about us. It was never about us being loved. It was never about our popularity. It was never about us getting rich. It wasn't so that we could have a way to come in to your city and convert you to become followers of Jesus and then use that to build our own empire and to enrich ourselves. It was never about making money. It was never about having everyone think we're amazing. And so here he just rejects everything about the personality cult. He rejects everything where it says, I need to build my empire. I need to build my ministry. I need to build me, 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 me. He says it wasn't about that for us. It was never about those things for us. It was always about something that is infinitely bigger than me. It was something about something that was infinitely more important than me. It was about Jesus. And that's where the focus has to be. It always has to be on Jesus. And in all of our lives, the very thing we must do is we must, we must take the heart of John the Baptist who said, he must increase, and I must decrease. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his fame. It's all about his story being spread. And if, you're, if your name isn't known and you don't get any of the glory, who cares? Because it's not about you anyway. It's about him. And every time, every single time, and we've seen it all too often, sadly, but every single time, it becomes about someone else instead of Jesus. Destruction soonly follows. Every single time. And the saddest part is not only does it wreck their life, and that's incredibly sad, 
but it wrecks the lives of everybody around them in the process. And this is what happens when pride and ego and all of these things come into play. And they're tempting and they look appealing, but every single time it comes into play and somebody elevates themselves bigger than Jesus, who is the mission, they invite destruction into their life and they have invited upon every single person that is close to them as well. And Paul just says, this, it was never about that for us. It was never about that for us. It was always about the fact that we made God a big deal. And if there was anybody who could have made themselves a big deal, he says, it was us. It was us. If there's anybody, if there's anybody who could have gone around and tried to turn it into a popularity contest, if there's anybody who could have gone around and deserves to become enriched from this, if there was anybody who could have gone around and made it about themselves. It was us. He says, I'm an apostle. It was us. He says, but it wasn't about that. And it can't be. And it never should be. We could have acted like a big deal. But we didn't. Because that's not what it's about. And we aren't those kind of people. It's always bigger than the individual and then he contrasts that with how they did act. In verse 7, he says this, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. He says, we loved you, and we took care of you. And he uses the picture of a, of a, of a newborn and their relationship with their mother. And he uses this, this picture of a, a mother nursing a newborn child. And there's this picture of safety and security and a, and a mom who's there to meet all of the needs of her kids. That's the picture that he uses. He says it wasn't about us becoming rich. It wasn't about us building our own personality. It wasn't about us lording it over you and our own popularity. It wasn't about any of that. It was about us helping you experience a relationship with Jesus. So rather than travel around like we were the big deal, we lovingly came beside you, and we nurtured you, and we protected you, and we met your needs. That's ministry. That's ministry. That people will come around others and they will nurture them and they will protect them and they will help them. This is why, this is why we say all the time and we want to just ingrain it in everything that we do in our culture, but we exist to help people move one step closer to Jesus and reach those who are far from him. We believe it is our God-given responsibility at Lakeside to come alongside people and to nurture them and to protect them and to help them grow closer to Jesus. It's not about our fame. It's not about any of those things. It's about our responsibility and our privilege, quite frankly, to come alongside of you and to help you be nurtured and to help you grow. That is our job, to help you become more like Jesus and to lovingly walk you through that process every step of the way. And he uses that, that picture of a newborn child 
and his mother. And then he, he goes on. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And glory. And so he, he builds off of this picture of a newborn child and, and the relationship that that child has with its mother. And then he says, Think about what we did for you, that we shared with you the truth, of, the, the truth of what Jesus has done, but we also shared with you our lives. And now he uses the picture, he uses the picture of that of a father that would exhort you. And I don't know what kind of household you grew up in, but I had some exhortations from my father from time to time, and those were not always pleasant. My father believed in spanking. I grew up in that era where we were exhorted and we were not abused, but we were exhorted and we were, we were told some lessons. And if you have kids, you know, there are times you need to nurture them and you need to love them and you need to nurture them and love them at all times. But there are times you need to lean in and have some good old fashioned exhortation. And I'm not telling you you have to spank your kids, do whatever you want to do with your kids, whatever, but just discipline them in some way. I mean, we, we have enough kids in society that haven't been disciplined in any way. And we've all seen the wonderful results that that produces. And it's awesome. And now we're living proof of that. But here's the point. And he says, you need, a, you need somebody to walk alongside of you like a father exhorting you, which means there are going to be times you hear things that you're going to be like, mm, I don't like that. I don't like that. That wasn't easy to hear. That wasn't fun. And that's not because somebody's mean. And it's not because somebody's abusive. But honestly, it's because somebody's loving. Now, this can be done in a horrible way. And maybe some of you have come from a background where this has been done in a way that was not loving. And it was abusive. And for, for that to happen to you, especially in the context of a church under the banner of Jesus, and I am so, 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 so sorry that you experienced that. I am so sorry that you would experience that. Nobody should experience that. And this, this can become abusive, and that is never the intent. And when that occurs, then it is not love and it is not right. And I want you to know it grieves the heart of God as well. And it should not have happened to you. And I am so, 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 so sorry that there are all too many people who have that story to tell, that they have been burnt by an overzealous or abusive process or situation in a church, and it should have never happened to you. So we are not talking about something where somebody's hungry for power or somebody's abusive. That's not what this means. Because again, this needs to be done as it would the love of a father who does so because they want what's best for you, who's willing to challenge you in the truth, but always maintaining, always maintaining 
and attitude of love and concern and care. And it's never about winning an argument. It's never about just having a debate with somebody. It's always, when it's done according to God's standard, it is always done with the heart of saying, I want what's best for you. I want you to become more like Jesus. I don't just want to shout things at you or bully you into something, but I want to lovingly tell you why this should be. So at Lakeside, we want to walk beside you, and we want to nurture you, and we want to love you, and we want to help you. We want to help you grow. But understand that part of that loving process of helping people become more like Jesus is sometimes leaning in and telling people the hard truths that are not easy to hear. And it's not because we don't like you. It's not because we're, we're mad at you or any of those things. It's because we want to point you to the truth of Scripture and help you become more like Jesus. But our promise to you is this. We will never attempt to do that in an abusive way. We will never attempt to do that in a way where you would feel bullied. But we want to walk beside you and lovingly Lovingly nurture you and lovingly have the tough conversations. And he says, and look, look at what we did. We did that with you. We exhorted you like a father would. Not only that, but we shared our lives with you as well. We shared our lives with you as well. We strongly leaned into you. We strongly leaned into you and we showed you the parts of ourselves. We walked alongside of you. We lived with you. And we strongly leaned into you not to guilt you, not to make you feel like you had to do things out of obligation, not to beat you up, but we did this, why? Because we wanted what's best for you, because we love you. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. And there's power in these truths because they're bigger than human. There's power in these truths because they're bigger than human. And they were changed. And people were changed because of these truths and because these truths were evident and lived out in other people's lives. And this is what we leaned into heavily last week. And we saw that when we are in tune with Jesus, that our lives should look so much like Jesus that when people look at our lives, they don't see us, but they see Jesus through us. And how that should continue to play out. So that as people imitate us, they are ultimately imitating Jesus. And this process has played out again. He mentions it here because there is so much power in how we conduct our lives and in the ways that we live that we need to use every opportunity that we have to model Jesus.
He continues in verse 14. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. This is just the sad truth and just the sad reality that we have to be ready to face and that we, we must just we must just talk about. It's this. Some will try to suppress you. Some will oppose you when you try to speak about the love. Some will try to suppress you. Some will try to oppose you when you try to share with them the difference that God has made in your life. You will face opposition. You will face people who want to reject your message. And take heart. It's not you who's ultimately being rejected. Now, it will feel like it's you who's ultimately being rejected, but it's not you who's ultimately being rejected, but it's ultimately Jesus that they are rejecting. And it can feel incredibly personal. It can feel incredibly difficult when it's something that we face. But again, look at what happens. And he goes back and he says, remember what happened to the one we follow. Remember what happened to Jesus. Why would it be any different for us? Why would we expect Jesus to experience things and then we become his followers and us not experience those same things? That doesn't make sense. Remember what Jesus experienced. Remember what Jesus faced. You will face difficulty. You will face hardship. Life will not be easy. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. We were torn away, he says. We were torn away from each other. You matter to us so much. I thank God every single time I think about you, and I think about you constantly. You matter to me so much. But we were torn apart. There's opposition in the city. We had to flee. We had to get out. And we were torn apart from each other. But not in heart. But not in heart. None of us know what's next. As we stand here today, none of us know what's next. We don't know what kind of mutations or vaccines or discoveries. We, none of us know what's next with a pandemic that has plagued the world for the better part now of eight months. None of us know what's next. We hear news of spikes and outbreaks, and the news disappears for a few days, and then it comes back, and one discovery is made, then another discovery is made, and, and we think we've got a hold on. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And we all would love nothing more than for all this to be over and life to return to a, a semblance of normal. But the reality is this. We don't know when that time will come. And there are many... There are many whose lives have been radically altered as a result of this virus. 
And there are many who, who cannot go to many places. Some who simply cannot leave their homes. And as this continues, and as this prolongs, and as the days become shorter, and as the weather becomes colder, and as people will be stuck inside, the fear is that even people will experience even a greater sense of isolation than what they currently experience. And I want you to know that those of you who cannot make it out and who are stuck at home, that you still matter very much to us. And our heart for you echoes the heart that Paul reveals here. That while we have been torn apart, it's only in physical presence and not in terms of our hearts. And that we love you. And we want to stay connected with you. And you very much still matter to us. And if you feel isolated, and if you feel alone, and if you feel like nobody cares about you, nothing could be further from the truth than that. That we very much love you. And we are here to walk beside you through this any way that we possibly can. We are here to serve you. We are here to help you. And we love you. And so just, I just want to encourage those of you who can make it out, and those of you who, who can make it out from home, just make sure that if there's somebody in your life who isn't able to, just make sure that, that their distance doesn't mean that you become distant. Send them an email. Give them a call. Send them a text. Maybe handwrite them a card. But maybe have pizza delivered to their house. I don't know. But do something that lets them know that they are loved. Because the reality is this. I do not have a friend who's a pastor who has not had somebody in their church either commit suicide, attempt suicide, or very seriously consider it since the start of this outbreak. People who love Jesus feel hopeless, who feel isolated, and who feel alone. And we just need to make sure that we use every opportunity we have to remind them that while we may be distant, we don't have to be 
We, we might have to be physically distant, but we don't have to be relationally distant. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And how's he, in, how's he in this? He ends this with the words every single one of us on some level or another long to hear. He says, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you've done. I'm proud of what you've gone through. I'm proud of what you've experienced. I'm proud of who you've grown to be. I'm proud of the fact that we came alongside of you and we nurtured you and we held you when you first made the decision to follow Jesus like a newborn baby's held by his mother. We took care of your needs like a newborn baby's needs are met by her mother. We came alongside of you like a father when you've ticked off your mom all day long and you heard those words, just wait till your dad gets home and then dad gets home and he can just by looking at his wife figure out there's something wrong here and the kids go running, crawling under the bed and hiding like, I don't know what dad, we had a great day. Don't tell him about that mom, don't tell him about that mom, don't tell him about that mom. And the dad finds out Then you have a talk or two says, we came alongside of you with the truth. Not abusive. Not as a bully. But lovingly. Leaned in. Because the truth isn't always easy or fun to hear, but you need to hear. He says, I look at you now and I'm proud of you. Why? Because you looked at our lives and you saw us imitate Jesus, and you now imitate Jesus. Because you looked at our lives, and what you saw was it was never about our popularity. It was never about us making a platform for ourselves. It was always about us using our influence to elevate the cause of Jesus. And now I look at you, and I would love nothing more than to be there with you. Because when I look at you, I see Jesus at work in your life. And it is not easy. And you've faced moments of rejection. But you still follow him. And I'm proud of you. And may we all live our lives in such a way that people look at us. They would see Jesus. And those who follow him could say they're proud of us as well. God, I pray that we would be people in the midst of uncertain times who remember where our hope is found. I pray we'd use every opportunity and every chance we have to elevate you I pray, God, that we would be people who come alongside others and help them become more like you. 
to lovingly nurture them and protect them and to speak the hard truths into their lives in moments that's not necessarily easy or fun. But may love always be what guides us and directs us. I pray for those who are distanced right now. And I pray, God, that you would help them be reminded in a tangible way that they are loved and they are valued and that they very much matter. And I pray, God, we would all live lives for your glory. Help this world see you through us. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.